Hey, listeners, before we get started, if you're enjoying these episodes, you can actually check them out on YouTube in full video. You can just search Honest Ecommerce and you'll get pulled right to our channel. Make sure you subscribe and ring the bell for all the updates. You've got to find a way to extract yourself and create more leverage for your time. And that's always going to be back at what you're best at. Welcome to Honest Ecommerce, a podcast dedicated to cutting through the BS and finding actionable advice for online store owners. I'm your host, Chase Clymer, and I believe running a direct-to-consumer brand does not have to be complicated or a guessing game. On this podcast, we interview founders and experts who are putting in the work and creating real results. I also share my own insights from running our top Shopify consultancy, Electric Eye. We cut the fluff in favor of facts to help you grow your e-commerce business. Let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Honesty Commerce. Today, I'm bringing to you an amazing guest. Kyle Widrick is the founder and CEO of Win Brands Group, an omni-channel retail platform that buys and builds category-defining brands. Kyle, you've been in the game for quite some time. Welcome to the show. I have, Chase. Thank you. Great to be here. All right. So let's just just take me back. You've got such a fun story. Uh, where do you want to kind of kick it off with like, your foray into e-commerce and what led you down this path? Yeah. I, listen, I kind of it came at it a bit backwards. I started out investing. I worked at a family office for a bunch of years and focused on consumer. And so we invested in a lot of consumer companies. And I left there and I started with my partner, Dylan, an agency in the Shopify space called BVA Commerce. So back when folks were building on Magento and Hybris Demandware, we went all in on Shopify. We only did Shopify work. This is like 2012, 2013. So really good timing for us. Built up a big agency there. We ended up selling it to a private equity firm. And that was really the backstory and the experience that led me to founding WinBrands Group, which was... You know, everyone needed more support beyond just the agency resources. And that's why we founded WIM. Absolutely. So you're a bit different than the typical founder that we have on the show. You don't have one brand. Explain kind of the business model a little more in depth for those that are kind of unaware of how like this strategy works. Sure. Listen, I have the maximum amount of respect for founders that are able to stand up a brand and have success. And so... What we do is we partner with those founders after they've gotten to some critical scale. So, you know, Win Brands Group is the very simplest way to think about it as a big agency that sits on top of a portfolio of brands. You know, as you mentioned, we are Shopify first. So we take Shopify brands that have done well. And our intent is to really get them to a full omni-channel strategy. So add Amazon and add wholesale accounts to a product that's already working on Shopify. Um, so we find businesses, whether it's in the home space, like Homesick or Gravity, whether it's in the outdoor space, like Kalo Accessories or Love Your Melon, and we partner with those founders. We do that by buying a majority of the business. And then on the go forward, we really partner with them to grow the business together. So we have this big team that we plug in, a lot of operational resources where we can make their life a lot easier as we scale the business. Yeah, so a lot of agencies kind of come to brands and they're like, "We want to partner with you," and you know that's probably the best approach. But the way that you do it is a real, actual partnership with blended resources, and some of these people on the agency team are working with only the brands that you have under that umbrella, right? Yeah, we kind of go all in. I'm a, I'm a bit of an extreme personality, so we pick brands we really like and we go all in, meaning. We are fully partnered in that upside. So we buy a majority of the business. Um, usually the founders will retain a stake in the business. So let's say 10 or 20%. 
Um, but we're able to come to them and say, look, you've created an amazing brand. You've been at it for five, six, seven, eight years. You're going to need more resources to turn this into a true omni-channel business. We have those resources as part of our shared team. Why don't we think about you know, doing a deal where you take some cash off the table, take some chips, put them in your pocket, and choose us as a partner to continue to scale this with you. Okay, let's dive in there a bit about resources. So I'm assuming a typical brand you know, that's doing couple million, 10 million plus, whatever. They've got uh, just a laundry list of expenses every month. A lot of it being partnered resources you know, in SEO or paid media, uh, development, etc. And the way you come in is like, we have all those resources in-house and those expenses now go away. But we also are now buying in. Yeah, and I think it's not only the resources, it's it's you know the the talent level. So we are able to attract a really high talent level across the board. And again, this kind of came out of you know when I worked at BVA Commerce, some of our you know clients included MVMT watches, you know Jake and Kramer over there, or Kylie Cosmetics. For every Kylie or Movement, there were dozens of other brands that really had great concepts, had great products. They just weren't quite able to scale to the same level. And when you boil that down, it, it came to the people, right? And maybe they never hired a head of sourcing and they had a sourcing issue, or they never hired a head of 3PL logistics. So they ended up with an issue at the warehouse. We've been fortunate, and this is the way we built it by design. We have a big team, all of our leaders, let's say in 3PL or in sourcing, you know, they have 10 plus years of experience in exactly that. So what we can say to the founders is look, we can give you back some of your time. Like, let the team do all this bulky stuff that, frankly, is not a lot of fun to deal with. And let's get you back to doing what you're best at, which is creating awesome product and figuring out ways to build community around them. Oh, that's fantastic. So let's talk about the brands. What was the first brand that you guys brought under the umbrella? So the first brand we bought was Homesick. And I was catching up with uh, Ben Kaufman, who had started Homesick with Ricky and a few others. And he had actually sold it to BuzzFeed when he joined BuzzFeed. And we were catching up and I was you know, giving him an update on what I was up to. And he's like, oh, you should buy Homesick. This is great. BuzzFeed owns it. And it was an asset living within BuzzFeed that didn't have any people really attached to it. It was kind of a sidecar for them. And so we came to terms, we bought that asset. And you know what I saw there was really interesting backstory of selling nostalgia, right? So you're a candle business, but you have deep nostalgia based around locations and memories that would really sell well online. You almost didn't need to pick up the candle and smell it to be able to understand what it was about. So that aspect of it made it uniquely interesting for us. And when we bought it, it was a Shopify only business. Um, we quickly built a big business on Amazon with that product, with that company. And now we're sold in you know everywhere from Bloomingdale's to Target, et cetera, at retail. So it's really about having the team to be able to expand these awesome companies across multi-channel. Absolutely. And then what were the next couple of brands that you picked up? So Homesick was first. That's where we kind of learned what we were doing. By the way, Homesick came to us with zero people because it was a carve out. So we had to like fill all the slots. You know, we talk about now having our, if you want to use a sports analogy, we have a starting team. Mm -hmm. And then every time we acquire a business, it comes to us with a whole bunch of new players. Sometimes those folks end up starting on the Holdco team, right? So we're constantly seeing great talent come our way. Um, the next asset we acquired was Kalo, uh, the silicone accessory business. Uh, Ted and Casey, the two co-founders there, had started it after spending some time in the restaurant world. 
they literally just wanted to have a ring that was more comfortable to wear in the restaurant. So they made this out of silicone. They got some early traction with sports and athletes, you know, LeBron James, Steph Curry, Bryce Harper, all wearing this product, this brand. So built a really nice base. Again, really a Shopify business that benefited from early days on Facebook, you know, ads being relatively cheap and things scaling well. And so when we met them, you know, they were at a crossroads of do we build a much bigger team here or do we partner with someone like Wynn and let them kind of take the torch from here and keep building with us. And we got to that point with them. Really great asset, great product. Um, the next one was Gravity Blankets, a leader in the weighted blanket category, a product that I had not used until we were doing diligence and loved the product, you know, slept so much deeper. It was really a big impact on my life personally. So I said, these guys have something. Um, decided to transact. That was from the founders who had kind of spun it into a media company. And then the most recent transaction was a company called Love Your Melon. And Really amazing backstory there. Uh, Zach and Brian had built the business out of a college project. And it's a hats business, but a really strong focus on give back specific to pediatric cancer. So they've now given back over $10 million to pediatric cancer, tons of hats, like super incredible cause-based uh, mission. Um, and, you know, as a byproduct of that, they built a following that's larger than, you know, Warby Parker, larger than Allbirds on social media. So people really love this brand. Um, and similar, they've had a, you know, good run, built a great business, but they were looking for help. And so that's the kind of situation that we like to find ourselves in and the partnerships that we can make with these founders. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, similarities between those stories. You're talking about they're, they're looking for help or building out a team. Let's just talk about how difficult it is to find good people and build a good team and how valuable that is to just be like, we're plug and play over here. Let's go. It's so hard. I mean, we just had our, our all hands, our town hall yesterday, and we're now you know 100 people. And it's tough. So, I mean, the best part of our model here is we can take the best people that they've been able to find and bring into their brand and welcome them into the broader win team, either at the Holdco level or at the brand level. Um, and, you know, it's tough for us. We're, we're constantly recruiting. You know, we just won, fortunately, best places to work against. We really try to invest in our people. You know, I tell everyone our brands, um, you know, our, our tagline there would be the customers are the business, right? How we feed that customer, how we keep that customer back, coming back, that is our business. At the win level, you know, our people are our business, right? And we've had to navigate that through a COVID time where it's really difficult to find interesting ways to engage without getting together in person, right? But it is tough out there now to find good talent um, across the board. Oh, yeah. It's it's highly competitive. It, it's the Wild West out there. Um, just on the agency side, finding good talent, uh, you know, whether full-time or contractor, it, it's just... Uh, you, sometimes you just don't know until you, you get into a project and start working with some people too. It's a, it, it's interesting. hundred percent. And it's, you know, it's, it's an interesting time because there's so much opportunity in these channels, but it's gotten so noisy and everything's so specific, right? Like you can be a tremendous marketer direct on Shopify and literally have no clue what you're doing on Amazon. Oh, right? absolutely. Did I, we say that every time someone's like, oh, like, do you guys do Amazon? I'm like, no, I, don't, I know it exists. It's where I buy socks. <laughs> yeah, we look at, you know, we look at Amazon as the largest shopping mall in the world. You know, a, a world where it's only Amazon and Walmart and the dollar store makes me very sad. Yeah. Right. So that's why I'm focused on these 
call it indie brands or smaller brands, small to medium size. Um, and, and for us, you know, if Shopify is arming the rebels, we want to be the largest rebel camp in the game, right? That's our goal and that's what we're set on. Well, let's talk about Amazon because that's like, you know, I feel a lot of indie brands, it's their fear is getting on Amazon or Amazon just taking their customers with a knockoff product. But that's part of your strategy is like, we're going to take these in and put them there. So, you know, outline the pros and cons of this, this approach and like how you found it works within your business. Yeah, I think Amazon today is a, it's a necessary beast, right? You can't avoid it. So, you know, we like to say, even if you don't want to play offense, you need to be playing defense anyway. Um, I think we're fortunate in the sense that, you know, we're creating branded store experiences. You know, we're not just trying to sell another product on Amazon. So take Homesick as one example. Uh, we are not trying to win the buy box for candles on Amazon, right? That would be incredibly expensive and unreasonable for us to expect that we could do that. But we can build a tremendous branded store on Amazon. There's enough people going there to search for Homesick candles. We can also own things like Texas Gift, right? An incredible gift around a state which happens to fall directly into our into our product line. So we focus on getting the website right first, then expanding to Amazon in a branded approach. And sometimes, you know, we put most all products on the branded store and sometimes we hold back product and do, you know, first release on the website and release it to Amazon later. Tactics and things like that, I think, can keep you driving most of the customers back to the Shopify side. And that's obviously where we want to be. You know, having that first party data, that customer relationship on Shopify is what's unique. You know, a lot of folks in our space, you know, we get compared sometimes to Amazon aggregators. Um, and it's just fundamentally a different business, right? Amazon gives you more or less zero data. You know, you're flying blind, you have to do your best. Um, so our goal is make sure to focus as much on Shopify as possible and just extend on the branded store. Absolutely. There's just so much opportunity there to to not include it in what you're doing. Yeah, and we you know look, we we launch a Black Friday deal on the website and basically take that and launch it in a similar fashion on Amazon, and you can double up on sales. So there are really good opportunities there to gain a lot of volume and gain sales. You just have to be tactical about it and you need the right people. Like we've hired an, an entirely new Amazon team to focus on Amazon. They deal with the, the Shopify team from a branding and creative and product perspective, but they're doing totally different things. Absolutely. So let's talk about uh, you know I'm a listener out there. I've got a store. We're doing okay. How do I you know how do I make myself appealing to a business like yours? You know, listen. I I love entrepreneurship. I I started out like mowing lawns. I worked at McDonald's. I worked construction. I've literally done every job in the world. Um, that's an exaggeration, but a lot of jobs that I've you know quickly figured out I don't want to do. Um, this is my fourth startup, so you know I do these things and I get into them, and sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. I would say for anyone that is scaling a business and you've gotten to a place where you have real traction, we define that as a minimum of $5 million of revenue on an annualized basis. That's kind of a, a size and scale where you've shown proof of concept. Um, anything above that, I think you need to think hard about you know what your goals are and how long you want to be at the business. Because I do think platforms like ours create really interesting opportunities for you to be able to partner. 
and take what you've built and put it into the hands of someone that cares a lot about it and is going to continue to grow it sustainably. Um, you know, these didn't exist a few years ago. So I think it's a unique opportunity that just, that just came on in the last couple of years. Um, and then I, I'm always a big believer in building and operating the business as if you'll never sell, right? Like be focused on that customer, be focused on scaling the business, but be open to having conversations. And every time I have a conversation with a founder, which is literally, you know, several per week, uh, my goal is to give them some honest feedback of what I would do based on my experience at the agency and now with the Holdco. And if things come together on a partnership, that's great, but that's not the expectation. Absolutely. I mean, uh, kind of that $5 million mark, you know, it's, it's kind of a line in the sand. I'm sure it's, you know, a little wiggle room this way or that. But I always tell people like, the strategies that got you to a million dollars a year will not get you to ten million dollars a year. It's just a different ballgame. That's a really good point. I mean, we we talk about it internally. Um, there's a type of mindset in an entrepreneur that you know just breaks through walls. To me, that's like the zero to ten million. There's then another stretch of ten to twenty five, which is scaling what has worked and then trying to figure it out at bigger scale. Um, 25 to 100 is totally different than 10 to 25, totally different than zero to 10. So I think some CEOs, some founders can transition from one to the next. Others, frankly, it's better to bring folks in to be able to help you with that. Sometimes that's hiring a CEO to help you manage the scale of the business. And sometimes that's partnering with a, with a larger group. Yeah, I think that's a tough pill to swallow for any entrepreneur is like recognizing your weaknesses. That this will make you a better entrepreneur and a better business person in general, just knowing what you're not good at. And just because you built an awesome product or even started the business doesn't mean you should be the CEO. No, 100%. You gotta, I think that's a great point as well. You have to know what to solve for around you. You know, I'm the biggest believer of hiring great talent and getting out of the way, right? And everyone's great at certain things and not at others. So I think. At some point, you just have to be, as you said, self-aware, understand also where the business fits. You know, some businesses are set up to be $250 million revenue businesses just based on the market you're in, based on the sizing. Others, it might be a $25 million business at max, right? So where do you want to go and how do you monetize that? Um, and I think that's, that journey is different for everyone. I would say the common conversation that I end up having with these founders is... If you've done it once or even multiple times, it's it's very often the case that you're going to go do another one. This is probably not your last rodeo, right? So the ability to kind of take some chips, monetize and go do something else is also super attractive for, for many of them. Yeah, I think a lot of uh, commonalities with entrepreneurs is they like building, they like tinkering. It's fun at the beginning. And then when it gets, it gets a little more monotonous when it works. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, I, I am that exact way. I'm fortunate in the seat that I'm sitting in now because the business is meeting new businesses and then having these conversations, getting deals done with founders. So that in and of itself keeps it fresh. Yeah, it keeps it exciting. Exactly. Absolutely. So you talk a lot about you know trying. You hire smart people, you get it out of the way. Do you have any tips to people out there uh, about delegation? So we we've talked about this internally. I think there's there's very different schools of thought here. Um, I do think in a business like ours, you do need discipline and you need tight management. So um, you know, frankly, there are other folks that I've hired and brought into the organization that are more focused on that than I am. Um, for me, you know, I believe the job of the CEO is to maintain big picture, maintain strategy, maintain forward momentum. Um, but I would say, you know, hire 
in every case, if you can meet candidates that are actually literally better than you, way better than you, that uh, whatever they're doing, and you can get out of their way, you're going to be 10 times ahead. I think sometimes people try to hire to control things and it really sets them back in the longer term. And by the way, the other side of that is the real A players, the really talented folks, they want some runway to be able to make decisions, right? So it's almost like a necessity to get out of their way to allow them to make those decisions. You know, in our case, I mentioned we have these 15 vertical leaders, you know, the last thing that I'm going to be doing is going to the head of customer service and trying to understand the depth of knowledge that he has with his 20 years experience in the space, right? He's giving me updates and he's designing and architecting a strategy that will work across the brands. And that's really the focus. And I've trusted him now entirely to do that the same way I trust our head of 3PL Shipping Logistics for her to outline strategy for that side of the business. Yeah, I think uh, you know delegating outcomes and not like a to do list is is the mindset you need to have. And then uh, something that we have learned, uh, you know, a mistake we made along the way is like hire the person, the the best person you can afford for the job. You know, if you try to cheap out, it's always going to bite you in the ass. No, that's right. And I've you know, again, sometimes it it works, sometimes it doesn't. My my old business, the agency, you know, we were bootstrapped. We hadn't raised capital. And we literally ran, you know, ran out of money three times. Like I drained my savings. If it didn't work, it was like I was done. Um, fortunately, things turn. And sometimes, you know, I think most CEOs, most entrepreneurs, and founders have like a gut instinct that you follow. Sometimes you even overspend. You're like, I can't even afford this person, but I have a feeling if I do it, it's going to work out. And those conversations and decisions are are different with scale. Um, but that's right. I mean, and if you can get someone excited enough about your business that's at a level where they're going to impact that much change, you have to do everything you can to pull them in. Absolutely. Now, uh, we've talked a lot about the the wins from your group. Uh, let's talk about you know some some losses. You know, anything come up from the history of building this thing? Some uh, you know mistakes or just learning curves that you want to let the audience know? Like we've I've already made this mistake. Don't make this one. <laughs> Yeah, I think, listen, there's always going to be, we talk about things in regards to offense and defense. Um, and I actually have an all hands offense meeting that I have every week, which I really enjoyed because to put a sports analogy on it, you're just getting on the football field and just throwing the Hail Marys. You're like, what do you got? What do you got? What do you got? Like just ideas that could be really big ideas because it takes that level of thinking. Maybe you have 10 ideas for one to be okay. Mm-hmm. And eventually that one that's okay could be a whole new product line for you. So anytime you're taking shots on products, you know, not everything's going to work. So we've had our fair share of things that worked really well and things that really didn't work at all. Um, and same thing with marketing channels. You know, We've had to diversify now that Facebook iOS has compressed the market um, whether it's TikTok, whether it's going back to podcasts, whether it's going back to mailers and catalogs, right? We're literally doing what we need to do to diversify. And some of those things are going to work and some aren't. And the, the advantage that we have is we can test on one brand. If it works, we can apply it across the board, right? But in any case, that test is real risk. Yeah, I mean, uh, going back to your sports analogy, it's just, you just have to take, keep taking big swings because without taking a swing, there's no chance that you can hit a home run, right? And it's just like, you're going to strike out sometimes and just you get used to that failure. And you're like, all right, cool. That didn't work. Next idea. Let's go. And then the ones that work will 
just compensate above and beyond for all the failures. That's right. And for me, I mean, we talked about my entrepreneurial journey. My first business didn't go anywhere. My second business was basically a wash. My third, you know, fortunately, there was a good outcome there. And now this business, you know, we're really excited about where it is. But I think if you want to make that work, it's going to take time. And it might not be the first time. And you just got to keep at it. Right. And I think part of its timing, you know, with wind brands, um, I had an instinct coming off the agency experience that this holding company model would make sense. And there'd be a lot of efficiencies we can pull from it. But it's hard to think about that now. But back in 2017, 2018, no one was talking about a hold co. No one was talking about a roll up. That came like two to three years later. Um, and more specifically around the Amazon aggregators that got more press. But to me, it just made sense. So I'm like, look, I don't really care if the market is validating what I'm thinking right now. I'm going to take a shot on this and I'm going to make it work. Absolutely. Now, is there anything that I didn't ask you about today that you think would resonate with our audience? I think the we kind of touched on it, but I think it's worth re kind of activating the fact that like you've got to where you are if you're an entrepreneur and have had some success based on your superpower, right? Your superpower might be product innovation, like you've created something new to the market. Your superpower might be activating community, like you've built a tremendously strong community around an average product, let's say. Um, I think what is going to become more and more important as we progress in this ecosystem is focusing on your superpower. So try to buy some of your time back somehow so that you can really focus on those things. Because the worst thing that I see, and I see it a lot, is founders who are really good at two to three things, but they're spending their time because there's no one else to do it, putting out fires at the 3PL or putting out fires at customs or their container ship caught at the port in China, right? You gotta find a way to extract yourself and create more leverage for your time. And that's always going to be back at what you're best at, you know, around those superpowers. Um, so I think there's a lot of different ways to do that and everyone figures out their own journey. You know, that's the thing that gets me the most excited about the entrepreneurs that we partner with is we can get them back to really, frankly, what they want to be doing anyway, but also what they're best at. Absolutely. Now let's uh, give another quick shout out to the brands and, you know, tell people where to check the brands out if they're curious about the products. Yeah, love to. I mean, I'm I'm super super um, passionate about our brands and super proud. I mean, our portfolio today has done now over half a billion dollars of revenue, which is wild for me to even think about or to say. Um, and that's made up today of homesick candles. Um, so nostalgia based, great gift. You know, we do personalization, UV printing directly on the glass. So. I could say, hey, Chase, thanks for having me on. And like, it's a very personal message, maybe from your hometown, your home state. Um, we then have Kalo. Once you wear a Kalo ring, I can tell you, you're probably not going back to a metal ring. If you are married, it's so comfortable. So you end up merchandising with like different colors, different fits. Um, you know, awesome product that we've gotten into the pet side there as well with silicone accessories. Gravity, uh, blankets, you know, I mentioned, but for me personally, I sleep fine. But when I sleep with the weighted blanket, it's a much different sleep experience. You sleep like the only way I can describe it is deeper. You're like deep in sleep. Uh, so if you want that deep sleep and then love your melon, you know, we've just started rolling out our summer hats, but that's traditionally been more of a winter hat um, business actually based in Minnesota. Um, 
you know, those are our four primary brands. We've bought some brands that kind of bolted them on and put them into the portfolio. And we're looking at a few more now, but that would be, you know, our main portfolio that we're super, super happy, super proud of. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kyle. If someone wants to get a hold of you, how do they reach out? What do they do? Thank you, Chase. Great to you. I've really enjoyed it. I, uh, email is easy. Kyle at winbg.com. Um, especially if it's a founder that's looking for you know, advice, just wants to chat or maybe more than that. But um, yeah, that's what I spend most of my days doing, meeting, chatting with founders. would love to connect. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right. I can't thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing their knowledge and journey with us. We've got a lot to think about and potentially add into our own business. You can find all the links in the show notes. Make sure you head over to honestecommerce.co to check out all of the other amazing content that we have. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review. And obviously, if you're thinking about growing your business, check out our agency at electriceye.io. Until next time.